This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. All right. Okay, brothers and sisters, let's begin in prayer. Father in heaven, we... We gather in your name, we gather around your word, we gather in the presence of the Spirit, and uh, we gather knowing that you will teach, you will listen, you'll be present, you will bless, and we pray, Lord, that our study and our worship of you and your word will give honor and glory to to your name. Help it, Lord, to be changed, to be more like you every day. Hashem Yeshua. Amen. All right. We will have a look at our um, the notes from last week, the beginnings of Acts 13. Acts 13 is that part of Acts that um, actually begins quite a big change from the previous part of sacred history. In this section of Acts 13, um, Peter has disappeared from the scene and we're now focusing on the Church of Antioch. Church of Jerusalem has begun to disappear from the scene and uh, we end up with a couple of characters and uh, the uh, often in our Bibles we'll have little maps and they'll say things like Paul's first missionary journey Paul's secondary missionary journey okay this is Paul's first missionary journey like what we're studying right now the departure from Antioch the commissioning from the Holy Spirit begins this thing called Paul's first missionary journey even though the calling at the beginning was to who? Barnabas and Saul. And yet, the actual map is always going to have the heading Paul's missionary journey, as though the rest of the people just disappeared also from the scene. And it's interesting that that's the way sacred history does. Okay, we, the way we reread and rethink sacred history, when you actually have a look at the text, sometimes you think, oh, she doesn't say that much about something or it doesn't say that very much about a certain person uh, and uh, and yet we sometimes think that it does so let's have a look so the sacred history and that's what the book of Acts is it's the sacred history of how the Holy Spirit is getting the gospel to Rome the sacred history now takes the focus from Jerusalem to Antioch Okay, we've had quite a few chapters of dealing with, with Jerusalem, uh, the, uh, the temple scenes, um, the opposition from the temple, the angels constantly saying, go to the temple uh, and, and, and do things in public. And now we're beginning to, to, to switch. The community in Antioch is mixed, Jewish and Gentile, which it is not in Jerusalem. Right? Jerusalem is predominantly Jewish. Antioch is the start of the mixed community of Jews and Gentiles. And it wasn't started by Paul, if we remember. It was started by nameless people. It doesn't even give them their names. Right? Barnabas, um, the community is mixed, Jewish and Gentile, and it's been shepherded by Barnabas and Saul for over a year. Right? Barnabas has gone to find Saul and bring him back to Antioch to help shepherd the people. The church was already established before before Saul was brought in. And it is noted, particularly in verse 1 at the start of this chapter, that this community has both prophets and teachers. 
doesn't seem to mention any of the other gifts, but it does these two. And then it proceeds to give a series of names. However, we do note that prophecy had not died out, as is usually the position of scholarship, both in Jewish, Jewish people and in the Western world. It'll say that the Holy Spirit stopped speaking ever since uh, Malachi, which is not true. Okay? Once you get into the Second Temple period literature, which you're attempting to read, you will know, uh, for those of you who do read some, some second, second Temple period literature books like Enoch, Jubilees, Testament of Abraham, the Maccabees, okay, Holy Spirit is alive and well. So by the time you get to the, the book of uh, the New Testament, you find prophets. And no one's batting an eyelid that, that they're still there. In fact, they're expected to be there. There is a difference, <clears throat> which we noted last week, between the literary prophet, that is a prophet who has a book, and the social prophet, that is a prophet who operates within the community. Uh, though we don't exactly know how they operate. We don't know their guidelines, and we don't know the weight of their prophecies. And we ask that question, which we almost couldn't answer. A prophecy that's recorded by a literary prophet, does it have the same weight as a social prophet's prophecy? And the answer has to be no. Why does it have to be no? Because otherwise we'd be writing more Bible. If a, if, a, if a literary prophet writes something that's recorded and that's in the Bible, and then another prophet says something, and if it's of the same weight and value, it must also therefore be written down and put into the Bible. But we are warned in the Bible not to do that. Right? Do not add to this book. So what exactly is the weight and value of a social prophet? And I would, can, would suggest we don't know. We, don't know we, we know that they exist, we know that they have them, we know that they had them in the past, and we know that they've got them in, in the present, and they will have them in the future. But exactly how they operate within our community, we ourselves still haven't worked out how to do that after 2,000 years. The early church wrestled with it and had some interesting things, but... Um, but we're not sure. Okay, there. Yes. Is the word of knowledge prophecy? I don't know. Would that be considered? Because it seems to me a lot of words of knowledge are given in uh, the community. They are. And and we then, as a community, have to decide what is the weight and value of a word of knowledge. And sometimes, like if we honestly, honestly believed that a word of knowledge had the same weight as the Bible, we would treat a word of knowledge differently. We really would. According to Paul's interpretation, there are two roles to edify the church. One is disciple, go out to get people in. Yeah. The other one is to spread the gifts of the spirit within the community, the community yes community, yeah, correct because it flows through the spirits yeah. to touch your heart touch your heart then we edified and find out a solution for some directions mm -hmm. they are looking to. that's so, right perhaps the social prophet's role yeah. is to edify a brother or sister yeah. in in some way and a word of knowledge would be one of those things yes, yes. but we ourselves don't have the same weight as this, okay. 
um, otherwise we would be running around madly trying to record everybody's word of knowledge because that's coming from God and if it's coming from God it must be special and if it must be special it must be recorded and preserved and taught and med meditated upon because that's what we do with these ones so there is a difference and they had them this 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 same phenomena occurs within the Bible itself there are literary prophets and at the same time, there was the school of prophets, or in Hebrew, the Bnei Nevi'im, the sons of the prophets. And many kings would even become prophets. Yes, Saul would sit down and they would, but we don't even know what they said. We don't know what they did. We don't know what their role was. And how could you have a school to learn this stuff? Right? If it's a gift, you know, I mean, how do you go and learn? You know, A plus B equals C. Okay, now prophet, you know, um, take your clothes off, put dust on your head, roll around in the ground, bark like a dog, and out will come prophecy. Maybe. Okay, we're not sure how that works. But the, the, it's interesting that the Bible never once describes their function or how they operate. Uh, it just has them uh, and acknowledges their existence. And they prophesy, like Anna the prophetess, sat in the temple and she prophesied and they even recorded some of them okay, but uh, other ones were not okay <clears throat> so in this community in the in the in antioch it produces uh, a, a series of names so various names introduced revealing the diverse character of the community and the first name is barnabas which is an aramaic name then there was a guy called uh, simeon or shimon called niger is a Hebrew name. Shimon is named after one of the Maccabees and he's also known as Niger. Niger meaning black, right? And, uh, and so he was a big tall black African um, and uh, he was also traditionally noted as the one who carried the cross, right? Simon of Cyrene. And so this, this now helps understand how the Romans managed to pick him out from the crowd. Yep, because uh, here's a small Jewish guy who's been beaten to a pulp and can't carry the cross. Wow, who are we going to get who's strong enough to do it? Let's get the big black guy to do it, okay? And uh, he was a lot easier. And apparently Shimon was so moved by that event uh, that he ends up somehow becoming a believer and part of the, the eldership and leadership of the community in Antioch. So whether he was a prophet or whether he was a teacher, it doesn't clarify their position, it just gives them as their names. So we have an Aramaic name, we have a Hebrew name. Then we have a Latin name, Lucius, okay, from Cyrene. So we have uh, some Latin people. And then another Hebrew name, Menachem or Menachem in Hebrew. And uh, he he's, has the distinction of being raised with Herod brought up so he actually is a well-educated roman citizen probably spoke a variety of languages very well educated somehow became a believer had the same education that herod did exactly the same same governess same homeschooling system whatever and one went bad and one went good which is also an interesting way to think about it okay and uh, this one went good and he ends up becoming one of the leaders of antioch uh, the early church worship as we, as we note uh, in, in Acts 13, involves consistent fasting, usually two days a week, right? which is always surprising when people say, I'd like to go back to be the early church. Like, no, I don't think you do. Um, you'll be doing regular fasting then. Yes. While worshipping the Lord, the Holy Spirit speaks, which is an interesting way to say. While they were worshipping, that's when the Holy Spirit spoke. We are not told exactly how, 
the Holy Spirit spoke. Did the Holy Spirit speak through those aforementioned prophets? Did the Holy Spirit speak through a son? Did the Holy Spirit just literally speak? It doesn't say. The text just says he spoke. Okay? And the Holy Spirit calls the community to separate Barnabas and Saul. Note the word order, Barnabas and Saul, which is the way it's been so far in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit says to serve me. Okay? Doesn't, so the Holy Spirit doesn't say to serve the Father, serve the call that Jesus gave Paul okay, on the road to D Damascus in Acts 9. Because Saul has already had that call. And Jesus has said, you're going to stand before kings and you're going to be a light to the Gentiles and you're going to be, all this suffering is going to happen to you. That was in Acts 9. We're now in Acts 13. Okay, and Saul's happily um, shepherding a, a church, a mixed community. He's really learning how this works. Um, after some prayer and fasting, more, more fasting, okay, several times the text says the community is doing this. There is the public laying of hands as part of a commissioning service. Right? It says the Holy the text says the Holy Spirit sent them out. Who actually physically sent them out? The community. The Holy Spirit works through a community. So at the same time as people are physically laying on on hands, right? there's physically people doing they were physically fasting and denying themselves food. They were physically engaged in prayer. They were physically putting their hands on them. The Holy Spirit was working through that. Okay? So there's a partnership between the flesh and the spirit, which is interesting, right? Because in the Greek world, we're told how evil the flesh is. It's no longer happening to us these days. Correct, but because in the Bible, God says he loves the world. That includes this, even though this is just mortal coil and will eventually disappear. He still loves it, okay? And, uh, so the Holy Spirit works through the community, and we see that both Antioch and the Holy Spirit send them out. Now, what is the obligation of the community in Antioch to Barnabas and Saul? Do we send them out and close the door behind them and go, whew, glad they're gone? No. What is their obligation? What do you think? Provision. Yes. They will provide. They will provide a covering. They will provide prayer. They will provide financial support. Spiritual and natural. Spiritual and natural. And so the, while the Church of Antioch kind of disappears, uh, they're still there. And they're there in their apostles. They're guys that they're sent out. And they will be funding this. So at the moment, it just seems that two people have gone out. At Seleucia, the port town of Antioch, we are not told what they do there. Okay, they go there and then it doesn't say what they do. Yeah, okay, so I wonder why we need this sentence, but it's there. It does add that John Mark is with them, yet he had not been mentioned before. Nor is he mentioned by the Holy Spirit in the calling. So does that mean the Holy Spirit didn't call him? The Holy Spirit says, separate to me Barnabas and Saul. So what's John doing there? Isn't that interesting? Okay, so the text says, separate me, Saul and Barnabas. Okay, that's, if, if that's what we heard, you would think that's all you would do, but you don't. You actually add more people. Okay. And in this case, John Mark. Obviously, he wasn't ready for that. We'll see. Acor according to the Western texts, Right, remember the text, the Luke, that the 
Acts that we're reading is Alexandrian, okay? largely. That is the, 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 the part of the Bible we're reading. There are other versions of, of Acts which predominantly use Western texts. That is a different grouping, which has Luke join the team in Acts 11. Okay. Our Western, the, the, the text that we have, which is Alexandrian, has Luke joining in Acts 16. But according to the Assyrian Orthodox Church, Luke's already there. Why? Because he's from Antioch. Okay. And, uh, and, and if Luke is there, he's, and he's also not mentioned. Okay. Hey, come in. No problem. Hey, guys, how you doing? Grab, uh, grab the notes. And we are uh, down into the third paragraph. So, does everyone understand the different uh, manuscript transmissions? Do we have a, we don't have a marker, do we? There are three main groupings of texts. When, when, we, when we dig uh, manuscripts out of the ground, right, archaeology, archaeology is not just finding stones. Archaeology is also finding pieces of paper. And uh, when we dig manuscripts out of the ground and we put them all together we discover that they're not all exactly the same okay and uh, so you end up trying to figure out groupings of manuscripts and many times they are actually in time periods and so uh, the big main ones are the Byzantine texts which is largely large sections of our Bible are based on those critical text uh, Bibles are based on Byzantine manuscripts Alexandrian manuscripts many of our books are based upon a grouping of, uh, of uh, Middle Eastern scripts called uh, Alexandrian. They tend to be earlier than Byzantine texts. Um, and some, the word order is sometimes different and sometimes they vary in size up to 10% okay, in more information. And then there's Western texts. Western texts were very free in their um, dec decision to copy, often adding commentary. Okay. So Western texts tend to be all over the place and um, are not usually used, although they're always there used for comparison. Uh, what's interesting is the, the, the Church of North Africa was mainly Western texts. So the, the, Western, the, the churches of uh, what we today call Morocco and Libya and Algeria, um, Carthage back then, a lot of those were the early what we call church fathers, Tertullian and Irenaeus, they all used Western manuscripts. Okay, and uh, they were very spiritual people. They were, they were known as being quite charismatic. Okay, uh, so Western texts have have Luke already with the group in Acts 11. Shall we say that Luke of Acts, the origin of the charismatic movement? The original? No, the charismatic movement was alive and well in Judaism way before, way before the New Testament. Oh yes, very much. Uh, more than that, there was there was a definitely a charismatic stream already within within the Jewish movement. Yep. Yeah. It's because um, you remember as the early the early church, what we know as the early church, the ecclesia, is a collection first of Jewish people which come from all these different streams. So you've got some hardcore Hasids, right? You know, and you've got some hardcore Charismatics, and you've got some hardcore Hellenists. 
and they, and they all form together and they're trying to figure out who they are and they cause all kinds of problems and then then when we finally get this mess sorted out we start throwing in some gentiles and that just confuses everything and uh, and from those gentiles we've got all different types we've got complete pagans who suddenly become believers to actually very devout god-fearers who already know the torah you got a real real mix so you can see why the the, the new testament is essentially a big book of problems right that's why that's why paul writes letters he doesn't write to the church in corinth and say guys corinthians you're the best thing since sliced pitta you're fantastic there's absolutely no problem i'm going to write and tell everybody how wonderful this is what a church should look like okay in fact all of his letters he describes i've got an issue with you okay right and that's 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 the reason why we write letters because there's a problem as opposed to uh something else so all right, according to Western texts, Luke is already a companion since Acts 11, although he has not been commissioned, or perhaps he has, but the text hasn't said so. Right? John Mark is also there and, and, uh, as well. They sail to Cyprus, which is the home of Barnabas, who at one stage had property on the island, right? which was also a conundrum because Levites aren't allowed to own land. Right? Barnabas is a Levite, and according to the Torah, you don't forbid him from owning property. Yet, he has property. And what does it mean? Uh, we don't know. So he sells it. Okay? Remember, remember the book of Acts is sacred history. It's not making a moral judgment on many issues. But it's, isn't that they can't own land in the, in, within the tribes? Okay, that would be, yes, that would be what we call, that would be the midrash on it. That would be the, the, the working that the law out. The law says you can't own property in the land. But what happens if we're outside the land? Okay, well then, what's the next thing? If, what, if outside the land, if we don't have a temple, what can we build? A temple. And so what so that God says you can only build a temple on in Jerusalem. Yeah, what happens if you're outside the land? And you have no access to being able to offer a sacrifice. It's the you don't offer sacrifices in synagogues. So what do we find in antiquity? Come on, Ling Ling. What do you what? You find temples. In Dan. Well one Dan Dan's part of Israel, but you also find them in Egypt. You find two temples in Egypt. Okay. Bethel. Yeah, Beit El. So Dan, Beit El, and there's one at Qumran, okay? which is not from the Qumran community, it's a previous one. Arad. Yeah, Arad has a temple. Yes, yeah, so there's... there's uh, yes, actually it does. Yes, underneath it, yes. So there's temples all over the place. Okay, and so just like that, we know what the law says, and then we fudge it. Okay, and uh, which is interesting, that that's what they do. Uh, depends on who you ask, <laughs> because obviously they thought you did, okay? Because like from the Jews that were that were the, the Jewish, it was a Jewish mercenary army that was guarding southern Egypt, right? The Jews were known as good soldiers, and they were actually used as mercenaries in antiquity. So they had a, a base on an island called Elephantine, and so here's a here's a bunch of Jews with their wives and everybody, and Passover's coming up. So they write to Jerusalem, and and saying, say when when actually is Passover? We've kind of lost our calendar. Um, if we're not in Israel, when do we do it? And we don't, we don't know what the response was. We just have their letter. Um, but we also have archaeologically, and we find their temple in exactly the same pattern. Where is that? Elephantine in southern Egypt. Okay, it was guarding, guarding the Egypts from, uh, what's the empire that was down there? Ethiopia. Ethiopia. Nubia. 
the, against the Nubians. Okay, so yeah. Anyway, all right. So they, they go to Cyprus, okay, which is the home of Barnabas. So start with what you know, right? And of course, what do they know? Synagogues. So they go in and begin in the synagogue. Okay, synagogues are a development during the Second Temple period. There are obviously those Jews who didn't like the idea of building a temple outside the land. Right? And so they built a, a synagogue, and the synagogue was called like the temple. Okay? A Beit, a Beit Knesset. Um, there were obviously things you can't do in a synagogue. And so when you were in diaspora, what was one of the things you couldn't do? You couldn't offer sacrifices. So therefore, how do you get rid of your sin? Repent. Repent. Teshuvah. Teshuvah. Yep, repentance. So I know a lot of our modern theology is without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. So obviously Jews don't have a temple right now. What are they going to do for their sin? Same thing they did in the diaspora for a thousand years before Jesus. Okay, which is they'll repent. Even before Christ, the synagogue is not functioning as a house of prayer. Ready to be a community center. Community center. Everybody yep. come here to celebrate by mitzvah. Yeah. You know, so have public meetings. Meetings. Have readings, lectures. Readings, yep. Very little, yep. Public readings of the Bible. Just because of those activities, need to pray. Yep. So they employ the rabbi to do the job. If they had one. They have the, one. The, but at the, at this in the second temple period, there's no such thing as rabbis. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's a development that's picking up. And so by the time you actually get what we can identify as a rabbi, okay, you're looking now at 100 years prior to Jesus, there are not many of them, and they are on the fringe. They are not part of the status quo. No one wants to be one. So all, all literary sources that we have from Jewish tradition is... Son shows up to dad and says, Dad, I want to go and be a rabbi. And the parents are like, oh no. Why, why do you want to be one of those guys for? Right? There's nothing good said about them. Right? Is that when, when they call Jesus a rabbi? Yes. Jesus. Is derogatory? No. He, no. It, rabbi is an Aramaic word. Rav in Hebrew. Rav. Man of many. Or great. The high one. Rav. Uh, yes. Right. But you already had other groups that did that. We know their names. What were they? Pharisees. Sadducees. Right? They already had groups. We already had priests. We already still had Levites. Right? You already had prophets. You already had lots of groups of people who, who could do the Bible. So this other little group called rabbi is fringe. Okay? When everybody else dies... That is, after the temple's destroyed. When the temple's destroyed, there's no more Sadducees, Pharisees destroyed, there's no more priests. Yep, the rabbis are all that's left. And they didn't get affected by the destruction of the temple because they're already on the fringe. And so once the center's gone, everybody yeah, that runs out to the fringe, they're there. And they become what we today, right? And the, and the rabbis that we see today are nothing like the rabbis of Jesus. Okay, nothing. And uh, too many people look at modern day Judaism and go, oh, this is what Jesus did. No, <laughs> not at all. Okay? There's some, but it's not a lot. But it's also like Christianity. We're nothing like these guys that we're reading about. Who the disciples Jesus treated as a rabbi? 
Yes, Jesus is a rabbi. He really is a rabbi. I'm not saying he wasn't. Yes, yes, yes. I'm just saying that it, at the time, it's not some high vaulted position. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so they begin, and also the synagogue had, had um, by this stage, had begun to develop a liturgy. And we actually get to see it very slightly in the text. Not very much, but, but slightly. Um, and, and so like in the synagogue, it says that uh, they read the Torah and they read the prophets. And you go, okay. Scrolls. Yeah. And, but so you've got this order of service. You would have had an opening prayer. You would have had uh, uh, a reader, reader one, reader two. You would then have somebody give a, a drashah. And John Mark is there. Now, why is John Mark there? He's there to assist. Now, how does he assist? What does John Mark have that Barnabas and Saul don't have? He's a witness. He was actually there in Jerusalem when it happened. Right? Um, and according to uh, tradition, he's also uh, identified as the man who flees in Mark 14. However, this is just pure speculation. We have no idea who that man is. Just says in in Mark 14, when they go to arrest Jesus, there's this man who's, who's got no name, who's a follower of Jesus, but doesn't give you his name, who flees naked. There you go. Okay, why? A, why is he naked? Yeah, doesn't say. B, why is he running away? Well, everybody's running away, uh, but it doesn't give you his name. Tradition, and it's just pure speculation, puts that at John Mark. Okay, because the book's named after him. That's all. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's right. We got a book called Mark, even though it doesn't say I Mark write this book. Okay, it's it's it's, it's just pseudo epigraphical. We have no idea who wrote Mark. We actually have no idea. When did the what? It was already there. Yep. Correct. Second Temple period within the, within the, okay within the Second Temple period you've got um, uh, different communities di it's uh, different communities are reading the Bible in different ways it 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 wasn't a consensus but there was the tradition that you would read the Bible over a period of three years and the Bible that they're reading the most the, the is is actually in Greek. All right, the, the most Jews at the time of Jesus actually read the Bible in Greek. Another bunch read it in Aramaic, and a very, very small group actually read it in Hebrew. Because it was Greek, was, that was the culture. That was the culture, yeah. And, yeah. and Greek Bible's bigger. Right? Greek Bible has more books in it. Right? The Maccabees are only in Greek. Okay? And uh, which is bizarre because you have a, a festival called Hanukkah, and uh, the book that talks about them is not in the Bible. Oh, well, they're the same. He, Jesus goes to the dedication. He does, yeah, but that doesn't, right. So he, he goes to a festival, correct. Yeah. But if you don't have the books of the Maccabees to tell you what that story is, John's certainly not going to tell you, right? It's just one sentence, which is an interesting, interesting phenomena is that uh, we're, we're engaging in, in, a, in a festival without having the book that describes it. Okay. And, and that came about hundreds of years after Yeshua, where people were debating what books were in and what books were out. At the time of Yeshua, it's a lot more dynamic. 
And so to answer the question on what Bible were they reading and how were they reading it, we're not 100% sure. We actually do have lists. There are lists out there that say that on such and such a day, you read the following Torah passage and the following prophets. We have those. And, and now they don't read them anymore? I mean, the prophets, they don't read them anymore? Yes, yes, they do. Yes, yes, yes. But it, but it was already being done prior. And so the synagogue had, cre had become created, particularly it's alive and well in Diaspora, but it's also in, in, in Israel. And Saul and Barnabas go there. So they show up in Cyprus and they begin. This, this actually could have been Barnabas' home synagogue, right? He lives on this island. This is his town. He actually shows up. He'd be, hey, it's good to see you, Hal. I heard you went a bit weird when last time you were in Jerusalem. Okay, are you all right? Um, but here, anyway, here he is. And, and why, why, why is it really good to have John Mark around? Because if you're going to talk about the resurrection, at least some guy can stand up and say, well, I saw it. Right? A public witness is a really good thing to have. Yeah, that's right. And, 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 and he had a bit of a testimony as well. He's like, you're done. Lucky I'm wearing anything, fellas. Okay. All right. Great. Good. Yeah. I think you should let the women leave the room right now. So on Cyprus, we encountered Jewish magic. Right? In the form of the sorcerer Bar-Jesus, also known as Elimas. Now, he has some sort of hold over the proconsul Sergius Paulus. Note the name, Paulus. Because as soon as we've had this encounter, Saul's name changes. Okay? And uh, traditionally, in Jewish mythology, the fallen angels bring hidden wisdom and magic from heaven to earth. Right? That's how magic uh, comes into this world, which you will find in books of Jasher, Jubilees, and, and Enoch. Many incantations and curses are recorded in an ancient text called Sefer Harazim, the Book of Secrets, traditionally used by Solomon. Magic was alive and well in the ancient world and in the Bible. For example, the Egyptians had magicians, the Babylonians had magicians, there was the Witch of Eindor, all used forms of magic. The Bible does it when it's describing it, actually has no moral thing to say other than it is forbidden and if you find one, kill them. <laughs> yeah? But it's forbidden. But, but they exist, including Jewish people. All right? So Paulus sends for Barnabas and Saul. He apparently um, uh, heard of these guys and was always attracted to wisdom. So Saul changes his name to Paul. He is filled with the Holy Spirit. Note he already has the Holy Spirit. He's got the Holy Spirit in Acts 9. Okay, but now it says he is filled with the Holy Spirit. And he challenges the sorcerer. And he becomes blind. Right? Which was the same thing that happened to, to Paul. Okay? The proconsul Paulus becomes a believer. Right? That's the, how the, the little episode ends. Something happens to Saul on Cyprus. As from this moment on, Acts will always write Paul and his companions. Barnabas is there, but now, from now on, it's Paul and his companions. Right? Something happened on Cyprus. They get commissioned by the Holy Spirit as Barnabas and Saul, sent out from Antioch. They arrive, Paul's filled with the Spirit, challenges the sorcerer. Barnabas didn't, John didn't, Luke didn't, and no one else did. But he does. And from now on, it's Paul's missionary journey. I thought he was shown to the Jews and called to Greece. I heard, I heard, he wasn't really a name change, it just depended on which audience that he would talk to. Uh, the text doesn't say that. 
he's going to go to, he's going to keep going to synagogues and it's still going to call him Paul. It, it, we, 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 on our commentary 2,000 years later, like to keep everybody's name Hebrew. That's okay. I am, uh, people have many names. So John is a, uh, John Mark, John's a Jewish name, Mark is a Latin name. Lucius is a Latin name. We don't even know Lucius's other name. So Luke's only name is Luke. Okay. Some people get double names. Uh, some people do not. Um, why is that way? No idea. I, but I wouldn't get too hung up on the name. Okay. Um, Paulus, what does Paulus mean in Latin? Yeah, little one. And, and, and the only physical description that we have of, of Paul, I should find it somewhere, is that he's small. <laughs> small guy with a big nose, little wiry, bald, okay? Physical small. Physically small. Physically small. Oh, he's spiritually quite big, but he's physically small. He humbled himself down after So from the big soul, become Paul. Not really. More likely the name is physical. Physical, Yeah. But note, it's because on this island he meets Sergius Paulus. It's very possible. Oh, the big consul. Yeah, but but the the consul could have been small too. Sergius Paulus could have been a little little Roman ruler of a city, and there's little Roman ruler and little Paul meeting, and everybody looking at them going, "Gosh, these guys look alike." And uh, Paul, you should change your name, little one. Hey, little one. Yeah, little one. And it just picks up. Okay, who knows? Because Barnabas isn't his real name, right? Barnabas, his real name's Joseph which is a Hebrew name. He's a Levite. Barnabas is an Aramaic name. But that's what we call him. Okay? So, what we have learned so far from from Acts 13 as what the Holy Spirit does is summed up in this little section. The Holy Spirit has shown that he can speak. However, it is not clear the method of communication. It's like, oh, dang it, would you just tell us how you do this? Okay? But it's not the way sacred history works. The Holy Spirit calls and commissions using a community, basically as his hands, right? And, they, and the community is involved in prayer, worship, and fasting. Ooh. Agents of the Holy Spirit. Agents of the Holy Spirit can have the Spirit and then can be filled with the Spirit, especially in the face of evil. Amen. Okay? So we often see that when the evil comes, then the Spirit fills somebody up, and then they go and they fight it. Um, but they've already got the Spirit. Right? The Spirit didn't leave them, He just filled them. It seems to me the book of Acts so powerfully illustrates the following of the Spirit by the disciples. But yet, in a way, we are learning to discern what is from God and what is from men. It's a, how can we parallel happening like this? Yes, so like a tidal wave, you see how they follow spirit, ah, ah, speak like that. But yet, they are carefully following um, to discern what is from I would. God. Oh, well, that's the thing. They have the Holy Spirit, but just because they have the Holy Spirit doesn't make them infallible. As we have actually learned is that um, in Acts 10, when it was time to actually baptize a Gentile, no one wanted to do it. The whole community has the Holy Spirit. 
The whole community has had tongues of fire. The whole community has the Bible. No one wants to talk to a Gentile. In fact, when we finally do, we actually summon them up and say, did you actually do this? Right? And so just because you're full of the Spirit doesn't actually mean you're following Him and or infallible. So sometimes the Holy Spirit's got to do stuff. So really what we're learning is how the Holy Spirit acts, not how a believer uses the Holy Spirit. He uses us. And that's what we're seeing here. The Holy Spirit's using people, but we're not, we're not always sure how He does it. Like we, we, we can't make a formula. If there's anything we need to learn from, from the book of Acts is don't make a formula. But expect the Holy Spirit to do stuff. Should I say that, you know, after 2,000 years, the book of Acts and do today, it's much mature, should I say that? Because now it seems quiet, but it's moving. I think the Holy Spirit has always moved. Yeah, it's more mature coming down, like, you know, the time of the book of Acts, you know, it seems very... I think we would all like to say we're more mature. Um, and that would be really nice we to say. We have more knowledge about the Spirit. We have more knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. But we might not be putting it into practice. Because if we're actually really honest about our culture, we've let it slip. We, we really have. It's a bit of a mess. Yeah. Anyway, okay guys. Off to... Uh, yeah, so. I think I have a formula. You have a formula? Yeah. Okay. I, I dare you. <laughs> I learned that from my pastor. Okay. And he taught me that when I, 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 once I had a question for him, and I said, How do I know the will of God? And then he told me, said, Well, that's very easy. I was shocked. Mm -hmm. He said, What do you mean, very easy? He said, Well, you know, uh, it's always God's will, right, that you're closer to Him. So every time you want to do something, you have a Situation, you have you always ask yourself, will this make me closer to God or will this make me farther from God? Maybe we should be asking him. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but that, that's the point. You know, 90% of the, that, that, I, I learned that 15 years ago uh -huh. when I was 40. So I've been applying it for 15 years. So, right. So uh, that actually solved 90% of the situations that I face in life. Right? Okay. So, not of the time, I ask myself, will this make me closer to God or not? And normally, I, already, I would know the answer because I know the Bible, I study, so I can yeah. relate to that. I can know if that's something that will make me closer or not to God. And there's always a 10%. True. Right? 10% means new situations where I don't know, where I've never experienced, or something that's so unique that I don't know. Mm -hmm. Right? And then when I face those situations, I use the principle of Jokebet. Of a what? Jokebet. Ah. You know, which is both uh, <coughs> in the yeah. Bible, right? The, the question about Jokebet is how did she know she was supposed to put Moses in the ark in the little? Right. Right? That, that, was, that was the question. So she was actually the second person in the Bible that applied the principle of use a previous, uh, use I, that up to that point, Pretty much all the people except for Abel, right? God always told them directly, Noah, directly, Enoch, directly, you know? Yeah. But Jochebed was one of those people that God didn't tell her to put the baby in the, in right. the little 
are, right? So she had to go back and look for a situation in the Bible that was similar to hers. She didn't have a Bible. Yeah? She didn't have a she Bible. She didn't have a Bible. She, she, she just was, had she, stories. She was, very, she, was yeah. very, she was very knowledgeable about the, about the stories of yeah. the Bible. Because probably she was the one that told Moses about the stories. Most probably. Right? Most likely. So she, she was the one that came up with the yeah. God talks to everybody, so, but now I need to do right, something. So, because the death is coming from the water, right. so she had to relate to Noah and say, well... Yes, because for, for 400 years, God hadn't talked to anybody. Yeah. That's recorded. Exactly. And then, right. so, she took little Moses and she put in the same little ark. Yep. And she said, well, this is the plan. This is the plan. Right. This is what Think we're... about it. It's a horrible plan. <laughs> yeah, putting a baby yeah. So yeah, one that's infested with crocodiles and yeah, all kinds of stuff. It's like, good luck, kid. <laughs> they all do. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they know which bits were uh, safe and which ones are not. So that's the formula we follow. Yeah. That's an interesting formula. <laughs> yeah. uh, I have uh, a, a take on the will of God. Uh, being, being here, many people uh, come here and say, I want to know what the will of God is, or I don't know what the will of God is. And um, the term will of God in Hebrew is Ratzon la Adonai. Ratzon la Adonai. Ratzon means, um, it's from the verb, uh, from Lirzot, Rotze, to want. And so this is yeah, the closest desire that you can possibly get. The closest thing to the heart of God is Ratzon La Adonai. And that, what God wants, literally. Um, and it only occurs twice in the entire Bible. Wow. Okay, so it only, so it only occurs, it occurs once in Isaiah uh, 58 and once in Isaiah 61. Wow, and, so what's your take on that? Well, you read what God wants. And, and you say, what is it? What is the will of the Lord? And it's, and it's to feed the, no, feed the hungry, give water to the thirsty, don't ignore your flesh and blood, take care of the widows and the orphans, you know. And you go, oh, and you, you, you go through the little list, and you go, what's the will of God? Well, actually, that's the will of God. What, what, the calling on your life? That's different. God calls you to do something. That's not the will of God. The will of God is actually the same for everybody. Everybody knows what the will of God is. That's what God wants. That's his high thing is you will not ignore flesh and blood. You will, you will not satisfy your own desires. You will acknowledge somebody else. You know, these kinds of things. Now, the calling might be you have to go to deepest, darkest Africa. You need to go and uh, serve the people in our Kansas. You've got to, you know, uh, run a women's Bible study until you die. You know, or whatever. Okay, that's your calling. And if you don't know what your calling is, don't worry about that either, because Paul says the gifts and calling of God are? Which means if you didn't get it today, it's probably the same calling tomorrow. Right? God's not stupid, so he doesn't say, Aaron, I need you to go learn Bible. And, you know, I go, I didn't hear that properly. Next day, I really need you to go learn Bible. As opposed to, oh yeah, you're right, you're stupid, what was I thinking? I'm going to ask that person. Okay? Because he would have asked that person. Right? Because he's God. And so the gifts and calling, if you've missed your calling, don't worry, it'll be the same one tomorrow. 
<laughs> he doesn't pass you by. No, he's he, God knows his heroes. Think about it. God knows his heroes. And uh, and so he, 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 look, I know you and I know what you're good at, I know what you're bad at, and this is what I want you to do. Please do it. Oh, and by the way, this is what I like. Okay? And, uh, and we can marry the two quite well if we want to. Um, anyway, we probably really should keep going with Acts, is it? All right, so we were going to pick it up from verse, what was it, 15? No, 12. Oh, 13. Okay. So I'll begin. Everybody ready with a Bible? Or thereabouts? No? Okay. All right, so from Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia, and on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. Stand up, Paul motioned with his hands and said, Fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. O Deus desse povo de Israel escolheu a nossos pais e exaltou o povo, segundo eles estrangeiros, na terra do Egito, e com graça poderoso tirou dela. Mas há 40 anos em que eles têm que desolver. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave their land as an inheritance. Okay. And after these things, for about 450 years, he gave them charges until Samuel, the prophets. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave him Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a saviour, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you suppose I am? I am not the one you are looking for, but there is one coming after me. Varões e irmãos, filhos da geração de Abraão, e os que dentre vós temem a Deus, a vós vos é enviada a palavra dessa salvação. Though they found no charge worthy of a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had accomplished all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in the tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days, he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised that what God promised to the fathers. This he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. God raised him from the dead, so he will never be subject to decay. As God has said, 
I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. Pelo que também em outro salmo diz: Não permitirás que teu santo veja corrupção. David aber ist, nachdem er seine Zeit genossen gedient hatte, nach Gottes Willen entschlafen und mit seinen Vätern vereint worden. Er hat die Verwiesung gesehen. But the one whom God raised up did not see the day. Therefore, let it be known to you, man, brothers, that through this one, forgiveness of sin is announced to you. Also, verse 30, 39. Take care that what the prophets uh, have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. E no sábado seguinte, juntou-se quase toda a cidade para ouvir a palavra de Deus. As que Juden de Scharen sahen, wurden sie eifersüchtig, widersprachen mit Leuten des Hauptes und schließen Lästerungen aus. Both Paul and Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, It is necessary for the word of God to be spoken to you first, since you reject it and judge yourselves unfit for eternal life. Behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as the lights of the Gentiles, that you will be for salvation, and to the uttermost part of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirring up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them, and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Awesome. Okay. All right, so there we go. So let's have a look at uh, the text as we can. So picking it up at verse 13. So. We don't have a real time frame here. Like we do not know how long they have spent in Cyprus. Okay? We don't really know where. We don't know whether they founded a community. We do know that there's somebody living in Cyprus by this stage. Somebody very famous. Lazarus. Lazarus. Yes. So there's a, there's, there's, a, there's a small community already there of people. Where, where do you get that, that Lazarus was in Cyprus? Where, where do we get it from? Yeah, is it in the Bible? It's not in the, it's not in our Bible. It's in their Bible. It's in the Orthodox Bible. Yeah, we learned the last week we talked about that. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. So it's in the Orthodox and tradition. Why, why that, 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 that our text says that they had to smuggle him out of the city because people wanted to kill him, but it doesn't say where he went. It's like Peter. Peter just disappears. He goes to another <clears> place. <throat> and we're not told where. Too weird because he's resurrected from the dead. Or I mean, what, what why do they want to kill him? Yeah. Yes. Because he, it was it was a re, it was a re, real resurrection. It was very visible. You can't deny it. it's a real problem. We now that Jesus makes miracles, the easiest thing is that's right, which which shows us that miracles don't save people. 
Because you yeah. think about what you're doing. Somebody physically rose from the dead and your response was, I'll kill him. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty bad. Um, so sometimes we in our communities hope to have uh, miracles thinking that that's going to help everybody get saved. It is not. Yeah. It might help somebody strengthen their faith. It might help the spirit have the opportunity to preach the word. It might do all kinds of things. Get people saved? Most likely no. Anyway, so we have no time frame. But from Paphros, they, they travel from Cyprus to, now to Turkey. And, and notice the, the, the way it's discussed. Paul and his companions. Okay, we've changed now. Now it's Paul's missionary journey. Right? And we don't know exactly the num we don't know the number of companions. We don't know if they picked anybody else up. And uh, what we do know is that John leaves them. Why does he leave them? He couldn't handle it. <laughs> he couldn't handle it? Yeah. It's like one day you're Saul, now you're Paul, okay that's it, I'm out of here. Get here. You got an identity problem. Yeah. You know, I'd like to back up with Lazarus. Nobody believed that he was resurrected at least even. That's right, yeah, that's right, yeah. Nobody believed that that's right. Yeah, even mom doesn't believe I was dead. They didn't believe Right. So let's ha have a look at Acts 15.37. Okay, so Acts 15.37. It says, uh, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them at Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Okay? Currently in Acts, it does not say that. Right? It just says he departed and he went back to Jerusalem. It gives absolutely no hint as to why. Remember, sometimes the book of Acts doesn't tell you things. So it's very hard to turn around and start saying, this is how everything, we, how the early church should behave. Well, the Bible's got huge holes in it. Okay, it tells you some information. It tells you some very important information. But it doesn't tell you everything. This is what I was asking you about last time because I said there was a division because it, in another Bible today did um, she emphasized that it was meant to be they they had to I mean they had to divide because then it just spread the church to start more churches divide and conquer like that but yeah. they already have so there's already been a persecution in Acts six they've already spread out the the the, the church in Antioch was founded by people from Cyprus and Libya. So, you know, there's, there's already movement. So I'm not... Uh, okay. yeah. I don't know, I mean... We, we don't know what the issue is, okay. but it, it obviously offends Paul so much, he doesn't want him back. Right. We're not 100% sure why. Okay. In Galatians, in Galatians 4, uh, verse 13, Paul actually does a bit of self-disclosure. He says that he was very sick. He was very sick. John was. No, Paul. In, in, in Galatians 4, 13, chapter 4, verse 13, he describes a sickness that he had. He doesn't tell you what it is, but he says it was, he was very ill. And, uh, and we don't know, like, Acts doesn't tell us that that happened. Paul describes it in, 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 a, in a personal reflection. Yes. And it, and it doesn't even say what it was. Um, although it was possible, it's with his eyes. Okay, uh, and the hint is because he says, you know, you, I wish that you could have given me your eyes. Was maybe something happened to him, and he had like a partial blindness of stress or something. We don't, we don't know. Okay, cataracts. cataracts. He had his surgery, and he's fine now. But um, okay. Anyway, we're now in Turkey. 
which is the stomping ground of which character? Who comes from Turkey? Paul. Paul. Okay, so we, we're staying in our, in our, yes. So we're staying in our home, home turf at the moment, okay? We, we're in Antioch for a bit, then we go down to Cyprus, and now we go off to Turkey. We're, we're, we're spreading out, but we're beginning to, to stay in our communities that we know. Okay, start with what you know. And, uh, and on the Sabbath day, which is they, what they know, they enter the synagogue and they sit down. Okay? And here we have a little hint that there's actually now a, um, a bit of a liturgy. Okay? After the reading of the law and the prophets, so there's, there's two readings at this stage, right? Um, although at this time of the synagogue, we know there was a third reading, uh, a psalm. So what would happen is the first thing you would do in an ancient synagogue is you would, you would read a psalm. Then there would be a general prayer, right? and then there would be some opening words, maybe a little chant or something. And then there would be a reading from the Torah, then there'd be a reading from the Haftorah, and then there'd be a teaching, if there was somebody wise. Right? Because you don't have rabbis yet. Right? Centralized authority rests in Jerusalem with priests and Levites. We don't have uh, the, the, what we today have, the, the rabbi attached to a synagogue. And so a visitor, if he was wise, particularly from Jerusalem, would be called on to talk. They would say, oh, we've got somebody from Jerusalem. Oh, you're from the temple? Fantastic. Get up and speak, brother. What is the word from Jerusalem? We hear. Otherwise, you would just read the Bible. Now, isn't that interesting? This is the, it's called, this is Paul's teaching, the function of the body. When you're inspired by the Spirit to speak, you stood up, you stand up and talk. To edify the body. This is Paul's teaching. Uh, yeah, well, Paul's going to do something. This is called prophecy. Prophecy actually is not to say, does the law says you have to marry that one, yeah. and go there to do something. Right. Prophecy is means a person inspired by the Spirit to talk out about what God is bothered to. Possible, so, but there's also, some, there's also some prophets that were mentioned in, in Acts who prophesied there was going to be a famine. So sometimes some prophets so, can tell you the future. Some of the events mm. can be specific. Paul's going to do something very similar to what Stephen does. Okay, so here we have a reading from the Lord, reading from the prophets. Doesn't tell you what the passage was. Okay, doesn't say. And, uh, and the synagogue rulers sent word to them saying, Brothers, if you have a message of encouragement for the people, please speak. Okay? Yes. Right? So he stands up and then he starts and what does he do? Well, he begins to speak and what does he talk on? Okay, so first of all, he says, men of Israel and you Gentiles. Yes, he talks about history. What, when Stephen was doing his defense in front of the Sanhedrin, what did he do? History. History. He does exactly the same thing. Yeah, so God's redemptive story is God's redemptive history. Right. Right? And so if you want to, what's the gospel? Okay, the gospel is in one word, the resurrection, but it fits inside a, re a redemption history plan. Okay, so he stands up. He doesn't do a drashar on the Torah portion, doesn't do a drashar on the thing. He stands up and goes, guys, here's the history of our people. Da -da 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 -da. Oh, and by the way, all of this stuff of God saving us, well, it culminates in, in the Messiah, who, by the way, is Jesus. And how do I know that? Because these blokes saw him. Okay? Why don't you say a few words now? Okay? These kinds of things. Paul's doing exactly what he's seen Stephen do. Okay? This is his first big speech. We have no idea 
what he was teaching for a year and a bit in Antioch, right? We don't know what he did, what he's doing. He probably was going through various books of the Bible and having what we're doing. Okay, that is very possible. We don't know. Text doesn't tell us. But when he's got the opportunity to give a drashah, he's going to break into redemptive history. And you see it. Men of Israel, so those are the Jews, and the Gentiles who worship God. There's Gentiles present. Everybody knows by this stage in the synagogue it's a mix of Jews and Gentiles. And the numbers are very close. Right? They're almost 50-50. Okay? About 60-40 type stuff. Okay? The God of the people of Israel chose our fathers. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. All right? He endured their conduct. Well, that was a very polite way of saying some nasty history. <laughs> he endured their conduct. Okay? What does Moses call them? Stiff-necked rebels, okay, right, okay. He, 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 he suffered with them for 40, for 40 years in the desert. He overthrew seven nations, right, in Canaan. And then he gave the, the, the people, this is all God's, this is redemption. Okay? God redeemed us from Egypt. He redeemed us by fighting our battles for us. He gave us these gifts, the land, okay. All this took about 450 years, okay, um, give, give or take. Right? So depending on whether you're reading Greek Bible, which is what they probably were reading in the synagogue. Okay, this is in Turkey. They're probably reading Greek. In which case, the um, captivity in Exodus is 430 years. If you're in Hebrew, it's 400. Okay. All right. uh, it's like the, the Luke passage we had this week. Was it 70 disciples or was it 72? Yeah, it all depends on which manuscript you're reading. Um, after this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Okay, so we've got this sort of shepherding idea. And then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul. And the lineage, the son of Kish, the tribe of Benjamin, he ruled for 40 years. Okay? Um, after removing Saul, he made David their king. So there's this definitely strong emphasis that God's in control. He's the one doing all these appointments. Okay, So this is, has a definite... Um, Calvinistic attitude to it, okay, without saying that word, okay. No, Jewish people do believe in the sovereign power of God. God is in the master of history. They also believe in free will. At the same time, at exactly the same time. In the Christian world, we keep trying to separate them. Jewish people hate that idea. No, shove them both back together, okay. God's in total control. He's working out who the kings are and the emperors are. And he's doing everything according to his plan. Okay, he testifies concerning him, but I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Is that true? <laughs> Don't you love the way God speaks? He will do everything I tell him to do. Uh, Lord, <laughs> Don't bore me with details. Okay, But there was this wife. Shush. <laughs> okay, so, but he does. Somehow, according to God's plan, David did everything he wanted. He might have done a little bit more but he still did what God wanted and it's still interesting that out of the seven, the 18 wives that David has which one produces the Messiah number 18 and the wife of where everything's wrong yeah. so God takes what's wrong and makes it right okay. so he's a good good guy like that so this man's descendants, God has, has brought to Israel the Savior, okay, the Redeemer. Okay? We've had the redemptive history. Now we're, 
he did he, he did it a lot shorter than than Stephen did. So he's obviously probably had a bit of practice getting it down, or he also just wants to race to the end. Whichever. Okay. The Savior, Jesus, Yeshua, as he had promised. Okay. Before the coming of Jesus, now we start doing some New Testament. These guys would never have known this. Okay. There's no way that these Turks knew about John the Baptist. They might have heard of prophets. And there were probably some of John's disciples floating around, right? Still after after he had gotten killed. So John uh, preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel, which is a very common message, okay? which they would have already known anyway in a synagogue. As John was completing his work, he said, "Who do you think I am? I am not that one. Okay, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet. I am not even worthy to uh, uh, do up this guy's sandals." Okay, um, brothers, and here he he has to clarify. Who are they? Who are they? They are children of Abraham. Okay, those are the brothers. At this stage, the brothers are still Jews. Once we get to Acts 15, then brothers will, will be inclusive of Gentiles. But here it's brothers, children of Abraham, and you God-fearing Gentiles. Okay, you're there too, okay, both together. It is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. And that's a, that's a big thing to say. Right? But he needs to prove it. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. So we have no idea of what prophet they had read, but they know we do know that they read the prophets every Shabbat. Okay? And they might not have had anybody to unpack it, pack it for them. But uh, the, yeah. So it's interesting that he says the people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize him. Is that true? Well, obviously some people recognized him. Right? So remember when that when that when when we speak, we do it too. We generalize. Because okay? remember, the leadership of Jerusalem hates Jesus, but the people of Jerusalem love him. Right? And they love the disciples. And, they, and they're very supportive of the movement. Okay. Um, Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the tree. That was definitely uh, an historical accuracy. Jesus is crucified on a tree. Right, not it, not it, not on a Roman cross, as we understand the word cross. It's a, yeah, it's a tree. Okay, um, and they laid him in a tomb because everywhere in the Bible it talks about tree, 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 tree. tree. Yeah, it's, our art turns it into a cross. Yeah. Our art, when our the paintings that we draw turn it into a very Roman Western style cross, whereas anybody, yeah, it's a, yeah. So God raised him from the dead. That's the gospel right then and there. Okay. That's the resurrection. And for many days, he was seen by those who traveled with him from the galley to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our okay? That's one of the key things that the early church has that we don't have, right? They had people who saw the resurrection. And that actually probably really helped people um, to believe in that in that first first movement. Um, it's very interesting that Yeshua already gave us that little hint in the Gospels. You know, more blessed are they who believe and have never seen. Thomas. Yeah. 
Yeah, so, so say it a bit louder. Oh yes, there's lots of lots of themes in trees. There's trees. Trees were right there in the garden. Okay, you had the tree of life in the garden, tree of knowledge of good and evil in the garden. You have um, the the tree of life that you see over the arcs in of Torahs and synagogues today is the tree of life in the garden. Exactly, okay. which could be associated yeah. to Yeshua with a tree. I mean, is there, well, I don't know. as a drasha, sure. Mm -hmm. you know, um, and uh, although Jesus would never identified himself as the tree of life, right? I mean, we can do that as, as a, as a wordplay, but that's all it would ever be. Because um, eventually, once you get to Revelation, there's another tree of life, another physical tree of life. Um, the Bible is described as a tree of life, but it's again just yeah, metaphorical. Okay, Torah is just described as as that, yes. but it itself is not. Uh -huh. Yeah. So, uh, uh, in, in, life version. correct, because in Jewish tradition, uh, when you interpret the Bible, you, you always interpret it literally, but then you also do the remez and the drasha. Pardes. Yes. So, so we're allowed to take, for want of a better word, typology. Or allegory, or shadows, or whatever we, whatever word we want to use, and find hints in the Bible that allude to something else. We're all allowed to do that. We and we can make we can do anything. We can do the rock, right? And Paul does that. The rock that followed the children of Israel in the desert. That rock was the Messiah. Well, it wasn't the Messiah. Okay, but. The foundation stone, Evan Hashtia, right? Well, that's that's here in Jerusalem, but it, but Jewish tradition has that when Moses uh, uh, struck the rock and water came out, that rock followed the children of Israel, um, which is in one Corinthians ten, where Paul alludes and he says, "The rock that followed the children of Israel in the desert, that rock is the Messiah." Now he's not saying that the rock is the Messiah. Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus was a rock. Not what he was saying. He's making a, yeah. an allegory. Okay, um, the Peshat still is that there was some giant rock following people around the <laughs> desert. Okay, um, which might have scared the pants off anybody. Uh, if they... So, so when the, when you see like the tree of life, rings and jewelry, I mean, what what would the what would that Oh, today's but more like well, it's like wearing a crucifix or something like that. Is that, is that, is that... What would the Jews equate that to today when you? I know. I wouldn't say it's mystical. The mystical thing is the hamsa. That's right, the that's right, the mystical right, right, bit. Right, right, right. Um, the uh, the symbol of the tree of life would be just as powerful as um, people wearing a, a symbol of a dove fish. or a fish or something. You know, it's a it's a it's a a chai. It's a it's a powerful piece of material that helps you remember a deep truth, like tzitzit. But right. what would they remember when they see the tree of life? Well, it depends. I, I doubt, I don't know. Every, everybody will be different. I doubt they're thinking of the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. Oh, yeah. um, more likely they're thinking of the Bible and its deep truths and uh, that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah. Right. Oh. The Torah. The Torah, yeah. Okay, so he has, he has worked through sacred history to get to the point that Jesus is the Messiah and he's risen from the dead. That's the, the redemptive, redemptive history that we're also now part of. Okay? And sometimes, perhaps, if you ever just want to you know, figure out what do I say to people you know, um, to, to share the gospel, what's, what, what's, the, what's the two examples we've had so far? Start with history. <laughs> start, with the, start with the history of the Jewish people. 
I'd like to start with the 1948 creation of, of the nation of That's Israel. one way to start. A lot of people would like to go yeah. there, or in our tradition here, we like to do the uh, Balfour Declaration. Yeah. We've got a lot of it before, yeah. okay? Yeah. You know, um, yeah. history history is very important, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's a... And, uh -huh. and, and uh, we so history is we're and we're part of history. We're making it right now. Unless the Messiah comes right now, what we're doing now still has value, and is still part of of redemptive history in some weird way. Okay. And so we tell you the good news, and the good news, what God has promised our fathers, He has fulfilled. Right. The, and he has done his, his we've seen his acts of redemption through history he promised us a redeemer it's actually physically happened and uh, and now we need my proof texts so he begins to quote psalms right and uh, the first one is uh, psalm 2 right uh, you are my son today I have become your your father uh, now obviously we're not talking of a biological uh, formula here um, uh, Ben Elohim remember Jesus never calls himself son of God uh, that's because son of God is a is a relational term so anyone who's in a relationship with God is called a son of God or daughter of God no he calls himself uh, Ben Adam so when Jesus is on the planet the way he describes himself is I am the son of man and because uh, angels are called sons of God, Israel is called sons of God. You're called a son of God, every oh, daughter of God. But but here in the in the psalm, it does show that there's going to be some relationship, where the psalmist says, "You are my son. Today I've become your father." The relationship begins this way. Okay, there's now a physical being on the planet. We haven't had this before, right? That's a very powerful thing to think about. Isn't that? Uh, no, what's this? He gets, he gets, he gets uh, the voices at his baptism, at the Mount of Transfiguration, and at the crucifixion. No, it was a small group of people who say that. Right, and they they bring up all kinds of lies about him. He never once uh, does something that can be classified as blasphemy. It's all trumped up charges, yeah. And they all do it at night because the actual crowd that we talk about is, you know, if it, if the, if it's occurring over there inside the building next by, you're probably looking at about 30 people, maybe 45. Okay, and they're all paid. So the, the actual trial of Jesus is over there, oh. and the room's not that big. Where is it at? What building? It's uh, in the in the Tower of David. Oh, that's King Herod's palace. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. okay. So uh, the fact that God raised him from the dead, never to decay, and He said it in these words, and we we quote the prophet. Okay, and. Uh, uh, and then, of course, he has to do the proof text to try and make sure that David isn't talking about himself. Okay? And the thing is, of course, David has served his purpose. In his own generation, he fell asleep and he's buried and his body is all decay. So David can't possibly be talking about himself because he actually ended up dying. So he's got to be talking about somebody else. Who has come back resurrected from the dead? Well, maybe we could point to Lazarus, but Lazarus is going to definitely die again. Um, 
and uh, it's, it's the Messiah. So the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Okay. So what words haven't we said yet? Which is very, very important to the church. We can't stop talking about it. The blood of Jesus. Here we are in Acts 13 and we haven't yet said the phrase, the blood of Jesus. Okay. What, what, the, what the phrases we talk about are, Messiah is alive, Messiah is resurrected, repent, the forgiveness of sins is preached in his name. So that would trump, Shuvah would trump the blood of Jesus in that sense? No, we just, it, the blood of Jesus oh, is a phrase that's going to come later, but, he, but for Jewish people, that's not the word you use. Because if you're overseas in, in Turkey and you don't offer blood sacrifices, why say the blood of Jesus? Because human sacrifice is just too weird? Or? Well, any sacrifice is just too weird. Because you don't do it. Right? In the ancient, in, you, you offer korban, you offer sacrifices in Jerusalem. You don't offer them in Antioch. You don't offer them in Tarsus. You don't offer them in Pamphylia or wherever we are right now, Pisidian, Antioch, or something like that. Right? Yep. Which means that if you're not there, you're not engaged in sacrifice. What you are doing is you are repenting. And so if somebody comes up and says, the blood of Jesus sets you free, we're like, well, what would I do that for? I don't need the blood of nothing. Right? What we've done is we've... we've, we've I'm not saying the blood of Jesus doesn't do anything. It does. Incredibly important. It is, right? This is my blood which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, says Jesus at Passover, right? He is the Passover lamb. But it doesn't negate forgiveness or, or uh, sorry, repentance or, or forgiveness. And Jesus says, if you forgive others, their sins are forgiven. Yes. We're not running around throwing the blood of Jesus on people. Yeah, the blood of Jesus is incredibly important. He is the Passover lamb. He is the blood that's going over on our doors that's keeping us away from the, 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 the plague that, or the angel of death that's coming. But we still have to repent. And that's the message that they've all said so far in, in Acts. So far. Everyone said the same thing. Repent. And here, the preaching is going, of forgiveness is going to be in Jesus. Right? And through everyone who believes, right? through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything that could not be justified from the Torah. Okay, and so um, uh, take care that uh, what the prophets. So we are in verse uh, thirty-nine, forty. Take care that what the prophets have said do not happen to you. So then he gives a warning. It's like you're probably not going to believe this anyway. And so he says, and he, and he quotes uh, from Isaiah, "Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish. I'm going to do something that even if someone told you, you're not even going to believe." And you know, the the God promised a redeemer. God said that he was going to send someone who was going to save us from our sins. And, and he did it. And that is the Messiah. And you need to believe in and accept who the Messiah is. Now, what does it mean to believe? What does it mean to believe? What do you think? Yeah, it is, isn't it? Because even demons believe. And so belief is more than head knowledge. It's, it's got to be. It's got to be. 
Well, what does what does uh, James say? Faith without works is yeah. right. So there's a, there's a link in Hebrew. Avodah, the word for work, is the same word for worship. Right? Avodah is avodah, same word for worship. So idol worship is avodah zara, strange worship, literally. Okay, and uh, so they're, they're linked together. That. When we, when we say the Shema, when we acknowledge that God is our King, when we acknowledge that uh, Yeshua is the Messiah, then we want to obey Him. And obedience is not works righteousness. Obedience is not trying to earn your way into heaven. It's, a, it's, it's belief. Anyway. <clears throat> you have to trust before you can obey and believe. Yeah. yeah. And that's the test. What do you, what do you think of human? Like, because he was human sacrifice, you know, those animals, and so I know that's an issue today. Like, oh my gosh, you know, we're we're pagan idolaters, we in three gods, and we. You know, yeah, well, the challenge, the challenge, yes. Yeah. Yeah, the challenge. We are challenged that they think that we're we're pagans. They think that we worship three gods, and, we're, and you know, and we kill, you know, we do a korban on, on a human being. On a human being, yeah. So. Yeah, well, well, I don't obviously have an answer for the whole Jewish race, um, but uh, it is it is something that, and we and we challenge like we just had the festival of lights here, and 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 that topic came up, okay, um, that topic came up, and so you have to deal with it, you have to you have to discuss and say, listen, um, we don't believe in human sacrifice. No, no one, no 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 one thought that by killing Jesus that was a sacrifice. At the time when we did it. We thought we were just getting rid of Jesus. Okay, God raised him from the dead, and that's the proof that God made him the Messiah. Okay, you know, even even though Yeshua was saying, "Believe in the miracles," you know, believe believe me that I'm the Messiah, but we still couldn't do it. But God proved that Jesus was the Messiah, and the proof was the resurrection. Right? So, Aaron, uh, the theme is propagation of the resurrected Christ to. To preach and to share the outstanding resurrection of Christ, and I'm very impressed about the teaching inside the Book of Acts is about the prophesy. Prophesy is different from the Old Testament time, like Isaiah. Yes, that's the prophesied nine. He was not aware of why the everlasting Father can be a baby. Yeah. Okay, this kind of prophecy in the Old Testament really through the Spirit without knowing anything. But in the book of Acts, the prophesy we say is so clear from chapter 1 Corinthians 11. He said, Paul teaches every man praying or prophesying with his head covered. Every woman praying or prophesying with her head uncovered. Which means everyone can prophesy. Which shortens this thing. Prophesying is everybody's function. Everybody's supposed function. to. So it means he was inspired to speak yeah. in order to edify the church, so the church can grow mm-hmm. and can propagate. Its from from uh, from Acts chapter two, yeah, right. when Peter quoted mm-hmm. Joel, right. and the prophet Joel said that God was going to pour His Spirit on all yeah. flesh, right. and all flesh would prophesy. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So allow me to give you another verse. It's so powerful. It's on the First Corinthians fourteen and the thirty-one. I just found it and very impressed. I think I should share with you. For you can all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be encouraged. Yeah. You see that? Yep. 
So actually, the, uh, the, the, the events, they were discussing in the Book of Acts. Yep. And people were encouraged, like uh, yeah. uh, Ling Ling, because what we see is, as they leave the synagogue, the people invite them to speak further. They say, that was fantastic, come back next week. And so then they, are, they do. They are learning. Until yeah. today, we are still learning in the church. Yeah. I don't know if the church encourages sense. No, we will sense. never stop learning Ling Ling. Yeah. 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 And, and, and what you find here is yeah. so many Gentiles turn up. Right? It says right. the whole city shows up. Yeah, well, it gets the, the flesh takes over because the synagogue rulers get upset. Why are they upset? There's too many Gentiles now. And what's the problem with Gentiles? They're unclean. Yeah, they're unclean. We can't go into Gentile homes and you know, this kind of stuff. And yet they're all coming into my home. <laughs> and so we've got to get rid of these kids. Yeah, they, all these Gentiles are, are coming, and these are the unwashed ones. Well, the synagogues are coming. Yeah, well, in, 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 um, in a synagogue, you had a place for the Gentiles. So you were separated, just like you separate them today in, uh, in, for men and women. But um, uh, it was, the, the, the issue of boundaries is, is, is not going to be, isn't finished yet. We still have to get to Acts 15, and even then we won't finish it. It'll never go away, and it still hasn't, unfortunately. Yeah. But anyway, we'll stop it there, guys. Okay. And the last sentence allow me to speak about chapter 14, 29. He said, uh, and as two prophets, two or three, could speak, and the others discern. Yes. What a practice during that time until now. Are we? Practicing this in our church? Uh, I, I rarely see it. Isn't that sad? See, this is what we need to be recovered from this kind of thing. It's sad that she we don't. Say that. Yeah. You know, the, should speak and the yeah. others discern. Yeah. Because the Corinthians had a real problem. They were out of control. Yeah. And uh, so one of the things that Paul says is you've got to get control. You've got to get yourself some orderly worship. You've got to you know, stop just doing this, this, and this, but get yourselves. Uh, in, in control and uh, we unfortunately don't follow that as, as best we could some communities do uh, but some don't most don't 99.99999% alright guys thank you very much for those of you who we will see next week we will see next week for those that we will not until next year in Jerusalem thank you for listening if you've been blessed by this teaching let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page or leaving a review in iTunes. You can offer practical support to Christ Church Jerusalem by clicking the Donate Now button on our Facebook page. Thank you and blessings from the City of the King.